So we're continuing the fourth parak of Orsa Tshuva, and we spent uh, two shirim on the first paragraph in the fourth parak. I would say the general theme of the fourth parak, um, you know, really the, the fourth parak at large is about Tshuva Olamis, is about the ascent of the entire world. And we spent some time talking about how because the entire world is in this rushing river to return back to what was before Hashem created the world. The descent, like we spoke about in, uh, I mentioned from chapter 11, which we'll get to in, uh, in some time, but uh, this descent from Elokius to Olamius, from a world where all there is is Elokus, is godliness, to a world where our perspective is such that uh, owing to the, uh, to the intelligence, to the wisdom, of Hashem himself, Hashem saw fit to create a world wherein we would, uh, there would be an obscuring of his presence, there would be a chilul of his presence, as the Mekubalim, as the Kabbalists describe, that the original creation of the world begins with Hashem creating a halal hapanoi, an empty space, and then shining a little bit of his light into that empty space in order to give us just the right amount of his presence so that it doesn't overwhelm us. And even that, says Rav Kook, the the rays of tshuva, the overwhelming sunlight of tshuva, which comes down like this uh, pure white light that needs to then be refracted into its different colors so that we can take each little nakuda of our own uh, self-becoming, as it were, um, and, and kind of like swallow it bits at a time so that we can individually and communally and nationally and cosmically um, return the world to a state of perfection that existed prior to the world uh, being created. And so the whole idea of the world is that there is this descent for the sake of ascent. There is this movement away from a world where all there is is the divine to a world where there is, there is the appearance of there seems to be something separate from Hashem's uh, all-abiding presence. And so the goal is that each individual person in their part of doing tshuva begins the process for themselves, which ultimately becomes these little trickles, these little streams that all then become to get, they come together and form, you know, larger kind of rivers and those rivers all flow into each other and become lakes and the lakes flow into the oceans and it becomes this huge movement, this, this outward spiral of tshuva, wherein the entire world returns back to, um, back to this perfection that reigned before creation. And so there's really two different pieces to the puzzle. One is that the whole world is doing tshuva, and all we need to do is kind of like get in and be pulled along with it. That's mitzad echad. Mitzad echad, there's this kind of communal um, or national... You know, you're on me. I'm on mute. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. Um, perfect timing. So there is this, there's this movement that the whole world is moving towards tshuva. And, um, and all we have to do is just, like I was saying a moment ago, all we have to do is step into that river. The river is just rushing towards lakes and oceans and seas that are just being dragged along in this process of tshuva. Um, and there is the possibility, as we're going to learn tonight, there's the possibility of an individual kind of uh, not, not dipping into that river, not going into that 
flow and, and kind of fighting against. And Rav Kook is going to talk about that in, later in this chapter and, and certainly in the later chapters. He's going to talk about the pain of what it is to feel the river kind of rushing in one direction, moving towards this, towards this uh, improvement. And as an individual, being able to choose to you know, get off the carousel, as it were, to, to get out of the river and to be walking in the wrong direction and to feel the kind of uh, grating feeling of being not at one with the rest of creation that's moving in a certain direction. So that's part one. Part one is that the world is doing tshuva automatically and that an individual ought to join the kind of process along the way. The other side, which is somewhat ironic and somewhat paradoxical, I suppose, which Rav Kook was not afraid of such a thing, is uh, that Rav Kook wants us also to understand that in this funny kind of paradox, it's true that the world is repenting, as it were, is going back to the state of perfection that existed before Hashem created the world. But at the same time, that world perfection that's happening is the sum total of all these individual people that, that are choosing to, to be involved. And so on a certain level, it's true that there's one way of looking at myself as the whole world is moving towards perfection. And there are these large trends that are going to be happening that are happening, that we look around and the world is healing itself at the same time that we see kind of a lot of missteps and chaos. That's on the one hand, we see kind of this global movement towards tshuva and I as an individual have to choose to be part of that. On the other hand, that global movement is made up of individual choices that people are making and it really becomes the responsibility of the individual to create the tshuva movement. As opposed to joining the tshuva movement, on the other hand, there's also this aspect of a person needing to actually partake of it and to, to join in and to make the right decisions so that their uh, individual their individual contribution towards this global tshuva will end up moving the people who are in their immediate Dalit Amos and then, you know, kind of uh, concentric circles outward, there'll be this exponential movement towards tshuva that starts from the individual. So they're really, and we'll, we'll feel it, and we're going to start reading in a second, but we really do feel in the fourth parak that there's the tshuva ha-pratis ha-yechidis and there's the tshuva ha-klalos ha-tziboris ha-ulamis and they're kind of symbiotic. In other words, on the one hand, all a person really needs to do is surrender to the flow of this world returning to a state of perfection, on the one hand. On the other hand, um, it very much becomes my responsibility to, to create that flow and to see myself as like the Gemara so famously said, to see it as this is only dependent on me and if I don't do my part, <coughs> if I don't do my part to do my individual tshuva, so then I can't think, well, if I just lock myself in my, in my own room and I just, you know, okay, it's my own personal shortcomings and it's my own personal lack of, of self-actualization that's happening. That's not exactly correct because what a person does in the, in the Dalit Amos of their own small space, even if they're not surrounded by a few close friends, but they're literally by themselves. So as we're going to see, there is a relationship between a person's activities uh, when they're by themselves and the, and the movement towards tshuva that the, that the, that the world is, is kind of, it's like throwing a, a stick or a, or, a, or a rock into the river and it kind of starts to block it up and it eventually, there's nothing one individual can do to override the process, but you could slow it down, you could get in the way of it and, uh, and that feels bad for you and ultimately uh, puts you on the wrong side of history. So you don't 
really want to be want to be part of that. There's there's an idea we're not going to learn tonight. I just want to say one last kind of little introductory um, statement as we're as we're kind of preparing to read this. We're going to read the second and the third paragraph because they they kind of go hand in hand. And um, the, the the last piece that I'll, I'll say just as kind of an introduction is Rav Cook wrote in a letter. Um, to the Radvaz, if I'm not mistaken. There's a number of letters that Rav Kook wrote to the famous Gon, um, who wrote a, a commentary on Yushalmi and, and other great works, who could not fathom and who could not understand, and I think we've spoken about this before, who couldn't fathom and couldn't understand Rav Kook's kind of obsession with, um, with the tshuva movement that he was trying to, to, to you know, spur on um, and literally going from community to community to try to teach people about their role in this redemptive process of the Jewish people. And it's not just enough to be building up the land, but we have to also be building up the soul. And, um, and the Radvaz um, was, was, you know, kind of taken aback by Rav Cook's insistence on, on befriending and attempting to move people in the right direction. And in a letter that Rav Cook wrote, he distinguishes between, um, I always think of it in these terms, he doesn't exactly use these two Mamre Chazal, but he does speak in very sharp language that, that kind of lends itself to these two Mamre Chazal. This is my own kind of twist on it. But we, we find two Mamre Chazal that describe the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The eternal nature of the Jewish soul. Okay, so on the one hand, we have a Mamre Chazal that says Yaakov Avinu, Lomes. Yaakov Avinu, our forefather Jacob, did not die. We need to say there's something about the Jewish spirit which is uh, indefatigable. Yaakov Avinu, even though he's described, like the Gemara says in Tainus, even though Yaakov Avinu is described as being embalmed and being buried and mourned in Egypt, as the Gemara points out there in Tainus, so then uh, the Gemara says, yes, it's true that Yaakov Avinu died, but since his lineage continues, since his ma, just like his children continue to, uh, to exist, so too he continues to exist. And what that really means is that so long as there is a klal Yisrael, as long as there is a Jewish klal, so then um, Yaakov Avinu, this, this concept of klal Yisrael, lo mes, a person who is a member of the Jewish people, so long as one does not cut themselves off in any drastic sort of way from the Jewish people, and there are very few ways that a person can really even attempt to do that, let alone succeed, but as long as a person does not cut themselves off from Klal Yisrael, no matter how many times I may stumble or I may make mistakes, as an individual, the, the Klal is still alive. Yaakov Avinu lo mes. The Jewish people are, are, are not dead. And so no matter what happens, the Jewish people, and this is much easier for us to say in hindsight of history sitting here in Yushalayim Yerak Kodesh, but even 400, 500 years ago, the Jewish people held onto this belief that Yaakov Avinu Lomes, that we will again speak Hebrew, that we will again return to Eretz Yisrael, that there will be a renaissance of, the Jewish, of Jewish learning and of Jewish prayer and of Jewish song and of Jewish dress and of Jewish everything, and the Jewish people are not dead. We are coming back. And that's one kind of way of thinking about uh, the Jewish people. The other Maimar Chazal that comes to mind is a Gemara that we find in Rosh Hashanah and in other places, which is David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayam. King David is alive and well. You know, he's alive and flourishing. When you compare the two of those, and this is the way that Rav Kook writes about it in the letter, Rav Kook says that, of course, it's true that every Jew, every Jew automatically is connected to this, uh, to this baseline level of, of connectivity, which is called Yaakov Avinu Lomis. The Jewish people are not dead. 
All of us are connected to that because we're all connected to the Jewish people. As long as we haven't cut ourselves off from Klal Yisrael, we are not dead. Now, there's a big difference between, because you can imagine, this is the way that I, I usually say this, is that you can imagine after, you know, you have a, a week-long vacation or two weeks-long vacation, after Sukkot or Pesach break or something, you come back, to, come back to school and your teacher says, wow, you look like you had such a great vacation, you look so not dead, right? That's like not exactly the comment you're, you're looking for, that's not Bidiuk, the, uh, you know, the praise you're looking for. Being not dead has something about it which is not right on the money of what we're looking for. As opposed to if you come in and say, you look alive and well, you look like you're flourishing. And that is King David. King David means, Yaakov Avinu means the archetype of, there's something that's attached to the Jewish personality that because I am born Jewish or I converted to Judaism, I am now part of this story and I am not dead. And the Jewish people, no matter what happens to them, will not be dead. But there's something that a person needs to choose. There's something that a person needs to choose. And the reason why I bring this up here is because the, the Yaakovinu is not dead is, is really the paradigm of tshuva that the world is doing. In other words, the world is not going to die. The world will attain its perfection. And as long as you are part of the world, then you are not dead. You are being carried along by the stream of tshuva that's happening where the world is moving towards this perfection. But as we're going to feel in Rav Kook's language here, just being not dead is not really what we want. We would like to be authors in the story and be chai v'kayim and to be moving along the process of tshuva, of the world's tshuva that's happening, so that it's not just that we are being carried along by the stream until such a time that we decide to kind of like paddle a little bit, but rather that we enter into this second uh, chosen state, which is chai v'kayim, which is alive and well, which is moving towards this kind of like really being able to fully actualize our potential. And that is, that is actually the goal, right? The goal is to be alive and well, to be chai And the way that we do that is by choosing individual tshuva, by choosing personal redemption. There's a story about uh, the, Sefer, the author of the Sefer Pri Haaretz, Rav, Rav uh, Mendel of, of Vitebsk, that Rav Mendel of Vitebsk one time uh, was approached, someone came into his, uh, he lived in Tveria, and somebody once came, some of his chaverim came into the, to the, uh, running into his, into his study, and they said, you know, they said, Mashiach has arrived, Mashiach is here. And Rav, I don't know exactly what happened that led them to this belief, but Mashiach is here. And Rav Mendel of Vitebsk, you know, opened up the window, he cranked, cracked open the window, and he took a, he took a smell outside, and he said, no, he's not here yet. Mm-mm. So the Talmudim said, the Talmudim said to him, they said, well, I guess he's not here. The Rebbe says he's not here, he's not here. But why did you have to open the window? Like, couldn't you just take a, take a breath inside? He said, because in my office, Mashiach is already here. Because, because there's such a thing as a person achieving a certain level of personal redemption that, chas v'shalom, to say that that's the end of the story. A person who attains some level of clarity where they're able to... Re- tap into that Mashiach level of, of living, but what about the rest of the world? Meaning part of being Mashiach, part of being in a Mashiach state of mind is not only that you personally are enjoying it, but as the name Mashiach itself implies, Mashiach is, comes from a Lashon, like Rabbi Nachman said, another Tzadikim said, comes from a Lashon of Mesiach. Mesiach means to, to cause other people to speak in this way to cause other people to be in this relationship with Hashem where they're able to speak with Him in the same way that I'm able to speak with you, panim el panim, in this very, very clear type of way, which is ultimately the Rambam writes, 
the Raman writes in the, in the Geras HaTeman, that there is no greater sign of the redemption than when prophecy returns to the world in such a way where people can speak to Hashem in this kind of open kind of way. And so Mashiach means, Mesiach means bringing people to a state of consciousness where Hashem's presence in the world is so clear that we, like Rashi writes already in Chumash, that we will be metayal with Hashem in Gan Eden, we will walk together and go on little day trips with Hashem through Gan Eden and stroll together with Him and, uh, and, and be, be, be able to feel his presence in everything that we're doing. It doesn't mean that we stop engaging in the world. Dafka, the opposite. It means we continue to engage in the world and to, and to, and to, um, to manipulate the world in the way that we're able to, to continue learning how to do and do it with a, an utterly present awareness of Hashem's, uh, Hashem's all-abiding um, presence. Okay, so with that... Let us read these two paragraphs in Oros HaTshuva. We're in Paragdal at Oz Beis right now. And then I would like to also show you another place where Rav Kook in the Sefer Enaya talks about this paradigm of individual responsibility versus kind of the world moving towards its perfection, which is really the theme of Parag Beis. Al Yidei HaTshuva, HaKol Shav Le'elokus. Through Tshuva, through a person's uh, process of return, hakol shav le'elukos, everything returns to godliness. Every movement, all uh, advance, all, as Rav Kook is going to say in the next uh, paragraph, he's going to all culture, all development, whether it's in the sciences or whether it's historical or sociological developments or whether it's psychological breakthroughs that humanity has had. And all of this going back to what we spoke about last week and two weeks ago on the basis of really human beings learning how to to talk, how to express in language things that were impossible to kind of describe or wrap our heads around uh, just a few years ago have become kind of very commonplace. And I, I truly believe, and that's, that's why Rav Kook was so deeply misunderstood because he was about, uh, you know, 50 years too early in describing some of the things that he was talking about. But for Rav Kook, Rav Kook understood that all of the scientific revolutions and all of these uh, information technology revolutions are going to create for us a language that are going to allow us to understand Hashem's presence in the world and the Hashem's animating creation in a way that before this we never would have been able to understand. Tshuva is, returns everything back to Hashem. Through this mitzias of the koach tshuva, this reality, this um, impossible to escape mitzias, it's a reality that Hashem created before anything else. Even before there was a planet, or there was an ocean, or there were animals, or there were fish and birds, or there were, there were people, there was tshuva. And tshuva was returning already everything, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think, from the Chafetz Chaim, that he said that the beginning of the redemption wasn't the Balfour Declaration, it was the creation of the world itself, is the beginning of the redemption, because the moment that there is a world, that's the moment that things start to return back to their perfection. It takes a long time, but that's the, that's the path that we're heading towards. And so Rav Kook says that, that this mitzias koach ha-tshuva, ha-shorer which dwells in, in the world, which abides within the world, ba'olamim uh, kulam, in all of the different worlds, shav ha-kolum eskashub mitzias ha-shlemus ha-lokis. It is attaching itself, and basically the, the feeling is, is sweeping along the world in a way that it will attain its shlemus ha-lokis. Valyidei ha-rayonos shel tshuva, deoseya v'hargosho seha, 
And this is interesting because, see, Rav Kook is saying here that the process, and this fits very much into the paradigm of what we spoke about last week, that there is an attempt to grope in the dark at trying to describe reality and then suddenly having a little bit of a breakthrough and describing some new level or some new aim that we're trying to... I mean, it's a remarkable thing. If you look at human history and the fact that humanity has been able to climb out of this, that, that there was a world, and, and there still unfortunately is a world in, in certain places in the world, that the concept of being able to own another human being is something that we shook off. We don't have that concept anymore. We, we, we kind of look askance at that. Is an amazing thing that the world is able to, and, and how many people have to describe this and to fight for this and to attempt to, to, and still to this day, to try to describe a reality wherein every person is Adon, le, le, you know, a person is, is, is an Eved le, le, le Adon, a person is an Eved to Hashem alone and not an Eved to Avadim, and to be able to describe this reality and to, to try to come out of that took a really long time, but eventually humanity was able to do that. And the same thing is true in economics and the same thing is true in psychology and in all different areas of life. What happens, Rav Kook says, is that you have machshavos, you have thoughts, kol hamachshavos, Rayonos vahadeos. In other words, you have a machshava. A machshava is some fleeting thought. A machshava is more akin to, let's say, if 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 Rav Kook here is is speaking mystically, so so within the realm of thought, so you begin with a, a with a, a kind of a flash of an idea, which you you don't necessarily know how to describe yet. You have this machshava, you have this thought, and that thought becomes a rayon. It becomes not only just a thought, but it becomes a well-thought-out idea until it becomes deus, until it becomes like, you know, there's like a, a system here. A dea means like, a, to be a bar dea means that I have what to say about this. This is well thought through, and I could say from A to Z how to bring about this idea. And once I'm able to describe that, and I could describe the system that I've created, so there's a movement from kol machshavos, harayonos, vahadeus. Rav Kook is describing here how tshuva is pushing a thought because of some necessity or because of some discomfort with a reality that exists in the world, some feeling of this is not the way that things ought to be, there's something which is, which is unjust here, there's something which is unfair here, and that triggers this thought, but okay, so now what do I do about that? And that machshava becomes a rayon, it becomes a, a concrete idea, but then that concrete idea becomes a deya, becomes like a, a you know, a, a a book uh, becomes a, a perspective, something that I could share and I could try to describe to other people in a way which is a, it's a dea. It's a, to say that I have a dea doesn't just mean that I have an idea. To say that I have an, a, a dea, to be a bar dea in a certain thing means that I've developed a system of thought that actually can, can describe this new reality that I'm trying to, to bring about. Haritzonos v'haragashos mishapchim v'shavim li'ikava be'etzem t'chunasam betochen ha'kodesh ha'loki. And again, like I said, these are, these are kind of very uh, challenging, you know, if Cook is, the tzaddik here is, is speaking in a way which it, it's almost hard to grasp, like what, what, do you, what does he want from us? But he's describing the process of an unfolding idea. And here, this is more of the universal feeling of, I don't hear here in Rav Cook. yes, there is a machshava and there's rayanos and there's deos and there's ritzonos, there's, there's the will of humanity that's moving and there's these feelings and people get upset about something and that causes rebellion and causes revolution and mishapchim v'shavim li'ikava be'etzem t'chunasam betochen ha'kodesh ha'loki. And then 
you know, things start to flip around and it seems chaotic at first. And eventually they all return to be firmly implanted in this more holy idea. Here in this first paragraph, we don't hear Rav Kook speaking so much about an individual's role, but we hear that, the, again, the world, tshuva is moving. Tshuva is this force in the world. It's like a raging river, which is pushing along the world, and it's causing movements to be formed that begin with small ideas, with a machshava, that becomes a ra'ayon, that becomes a deya, a full kind of perspective and a, an opinion about something, a firm opinion about something, which then affects a person's will and their emotions until things start to, to, to flip around and, and, and we really start to see change happening in the world until this idea becomes part of the, the, the holy, you know, the hakodesh the, aloki, the part of this holy, godly idea. So that's Ozbez. And when we contrast that with Ozgimel, we'll start to see that there's now becomes an individual person's kind of role in this. So what's my individual? So that's what's happening. The world is moving, and ideas are being formulated, and and it's impossible to escape them, you know. And and if a person if a person balances it in the right way, you know, so then those ideas pull them along in a positive way. But oftentimes these ideas take some time to find, as Rav Kook describes, that after some time they flip around and they become firmly embedded within or nested within this larger system of Kedusha, of Elokios, of, of godliness. But sometimes it takes quite a bit of time until an idea can be properly moved in the right direction until it becomes something holy. And sometimes there's a lot of false starts about exactly how to utilize this thing in order to bring about some new divine idea. So an individual person needs to then try as best that they can to become uh, an, an active force of change in this system. And so this is Oskim. Here of Cook says, Hachuva Klolis, she, he, this this kind of general movement of the world uh, fixing itself and moving towards uh, a higher level of, of God awareness. And the individual's role in that, the individual state of tshuva, which touches the place of each individual's um, unique role in, in, in fixing themselves. So the person's individual role is, it goes down to the most, you know, like Rabbi Nachman described in Sichus Aran, Rabbi Nachman said, and Rabbi Nachman spoke in these kind of like very grandiose terms. I'm not saying I don't believe it, I believe it. But, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to kind of like see. Rabbi Nachman said that in your house, when there's like a little spat that breaks out between two of the kids, you know, or breaks out between the husband and the wife or between the parents and the kids in some way. So he said in that prati prati, in that tiny little corner of your life, which is not really reflective of even the klali relationship that you have between these two people, between these two children, or between the, the two, the two uh, the spouses, or, or between the parents and the children. In general, things are good, but this tiny little flare-up, so Rabbi Nachman says that in, in a household, when that's happening, so that reflects some bigger movement that's happening in the world. Where, and Rabbi Nachman, he says it literally like this. He says, wherein 
one person is playing, and I'm just giving an example, but, and he uses examples like this, is whereas one person is playing the role of, of Russia, of the country Russia, and another person is playing the role of you know, some warring nation with Russia, and the two of them are having their tiny little spat in their house, which they think is totally removed from what they're reading in the headlines about what's happening over there, and exactly the way that one thing leads to the other, you know, the cause and effect is not something which is for us to be able to understand or even to claim that, well, this caused that. That's not what Rabbi Nachman's saying. What Rabbi Nachman's saying is that just as when there is this tiny little prati shebe pratim, like Rav Kook says here, even the dakus pratim shall tikuni hamiuchadim, the tiniest little fixing that a person does, whether it's uh, some small fixing that there's a, a little crack in the ceiling that a person fixes, or <coughs> there's a hungry child in the house and a person feeds the hungry child, or a person gets the stain out of a, 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 an article of clothing, all of those tiny little things, and th- those are the those are the pratim, da, you know, the dakosa pratim, to you know, working through a, 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 a small, you know, a small but significant issue in a relationship or, 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 you know, conquering a certain area of Torah study that you've been working on that you, you couldn't break through and couldn't understand this particular passage. Every fixing that happens in the world, whether it's fixing your car or fixing your midos or fixing uh, your understanding of a certain, per, a certain paragraph in Torah study, all of that to the tiniest little detail of the tikkun tshuva hamiyuchadim is all part of this tshuva klalis that's happening. Sheruach hakodesh yodei lefartam lepratim hayoter bodedim. That the whole that ruach hakodesh, which here doesn't mean like a prophecy as much as it means the Holy Spirit of of the world, which is moving that that which is described from the very beginning of creation of the ruach elokim, which is mirachefes al pnei hamayim the spirit of Hashem, which is hovering over the face of the waters, that before that water is going to then split and divide so that there'll be room for dry land, so that the dry land will then be able to have uh, veg- vegetation, and that vegetation will be able to support animal life, and the animal life will be able to support human life. And so from the very moment that ha- Hashem is kind of hovering over the water, before everything starts, that ruach, which is hovering over the, o- over the water, is there throughout the entire process of the world unfolding so that every prat, every single detail of tikkun, whether it's my individual tikkun in my own life or whether it's some larger type of idea, the Ruach HaKodesh, Hashem knows how to bring to every single person exactly the test, exactly the Nisayun, exactly the set of circumstances with you know, that exact husband or wife and with that exact child and with that exact, exact set of of you know special educational needs that the that this person has, or every single detail of that is planned out in such a way that it brings you and all of the people involved in that to their state of perfection. And all of these individual stories, the story of Mishpachat Weinberg and the story of Mishpachat Prachka and the story of Mishpachat Gordon, Vechulu Vechulu, I don't have to go there, everybody. But all of our individual family stories, which are really made up of our individual people stories, that there's the story of Davidal and the story of Rina, there's the story of Tanya and the story of Iran. Every single person has their own individual story, which then becomes part of a family story, which becomes part of a community story, which becomes part of a Am Yisrael story, which becomes part of a nation, you know, a, a, a world story. So, all of these prate pratim, hayoser bodedim, which appear to have nothing to do with each other. They don't seem to have anything to do with each other. 
But in reality, they all become part of this one sipur. They all become little drops that form into a stream, that form into a river, that form into an ocean, that form into a world that's inundated with that's completely inundated and covered with, with divine knowledge everywhere, which is the ultimate messianic, uh, the ulti, ultimate messianic vision. The same thing is true of, of tarbut, which translates normally as culture. All the Rav Kook, you know, wasn't accidental that Rav Kook, which sent shockwaves through, I guess, the religious world, that in addition to Rav Kook's, you know, tshuva movements to go, uh, to go fix the moshavim and to go fix the, you know, the farm, the farm agricultural systems that they should all be in a, in a way of, of Kedusha and Tahara, and, uh, and going to different shuls and trying to do these things. Rav Kook was also involved in, uh, in opening art schools and in opening scientific uh, you know, avenues of inquiry and trying to, you know, that, that would eventually lead to Am Yisrael developing the cherry tomato or whatever. You know, this is all from Rav Kook. Rav Kook understood that there needs to be a, a, a Jewish art school there needs to be a way that the Jewish people are able to express that culture. There's, there needs to be writers who are writing poetry. And so Rav Kook understood, as, as, as is brought down in, in his biography, in, in Simcha Raz's biography of Rav Kook, that Rav Kook literally went to people who were painters and who were, who were photographers and said, you have a talent, go use it to inspire Jews. The Lubavitch Rebbe was like this also. I think I mentioned this once before, that one of the most inspiring stories that I ever read, it sounds like so silly, is that the Lubavitch Rebbe, uh, basically wrote letters and kept on pushing because there was a certain fellow, I forget what his last name was, David, I think was his first name, who was trying to figure out how to make power of ice cream. And he was trying all these different things to try to make power of ice cream. And the Lubavitcher, we took deep interest in this. And the man was ready to give up. And the Lubavitcher, pushed him and said, you can't give up, this is part of... He understood that Par of ice cream is, is part of the tikkun of the world. Now that sounds so silly, it sounds ridiculous. Who, what do we need par of ice cream for? Like, so we can't have our, we can't have our, our par of ice cream on, on Shabbos afternoon, so therefore like, the world is not gonna reach its state of perfection. But Rav, Rav Kook understood, and, and Lubavitch Rebbe in his way understood, that which seems like has nothing, is totally separated from the world's attaining its, its place of perfection. But Lubavitch Rebbe said, you need, you need to solve this. This is, there's not Stam that you're interested in doing this. It, you, ha, you have to. And he kept on pushing him. And this man invented uh, tofu, tofuri cutie uh, ice cream. This is the man who invented, who, re, who figured out how to take soybeans and turn them into ice cream. And, and the Lubavitcher, you know, gave him a big shkayach and gave him a big, you know. And, but, but what does that have to do with anything? That same Lubavitcher is the same person who understood that you, Every little fixing, that there's no difference, fundamentally, there's no difference. Of course, yes, we make hierarchies in terms of how important we, we treat these things, and, and, and on a certain level, we also should, and Rav Cook will say that elsewhere also, but fundamentally, there's no difference between fixing a crack in your ceiling when there's a, when there's a leak and fixing a crack in your soul. They're both part of the perfection of the world. And so long as a person, like the Gemara describes, so long as a person reaches into their pocket, and pulls out a coin, and it's not the coin that they intended, that means that the world is imperfect, and we still need to be able to, we need to make it in such a way, I think the, in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, they've, they've worked on this a little bit, they have bills that are different sizes you could reach into, you know, so that a person who can't see, that's an unbelievable thing. 
that's an unbelievable thing. If you ever did like the dialogue in the dark in Chalon or, or right? You, that, if you look at the, the money that, that, that we've developed, and I don't know if we were the first to do it, or, but if you look, at, if you look at, at the money that Am Yisrael is, is, is developing here, so you have that a 20 and a 200 are two different sizes, so that a person who can't see, that's tshuva. That's the world, that's the world attaining a, a higher level of, of perfection. Not only because... Isn't it so nice that we're paying attention to people who have, you know, who have disabilities, who, who, who aren't able to see, you know, and we're, we're trying to help them to be able to navigate the world. Also, also that, but also because I think it's a, it's a fulfillment of what the Gemara says, that a person reaches into their pocket and they pull out one coin, but they really meant to pull out a different coin. That's part of the world fixing itself. That we shouldn't be surprised when things are, are go well. That's, that's the way that it ought to be. And, and so the world moving towards these prate, 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 moving closer and closer. Okay, I just want to rephrase yeah, yeah. it because um, it's, it's such a beautiful idea. But um, I think what was so unbelievable about Rav Cook was his optimistic view of, of people in general and Jews when they themselves don't even have this awareness and don't realize how everything that they're doing, he's saying like it's the source of it is the fact that God created Shuva in the world. It that is the motivation for people to want to be better. And everybody wants to be better how they understand. Right. But he's giving like such value to everything every type of person, to every single thing that a person does as part and parcel of something so much greater. So obviously there's a difference between mm wanting to fix your soul and it being a conscious thing as opposed to fixing, you know, something in the, in the ceiling. But, but what he's saying and what, what is so, that's so, that's so like new and amazing about it is like, he's saying that every Jew has that inner need to fix like people in general, but Jews especially because it's our job to do tikkun olam. It's like you think about, you know, in America, it's a big thing, like in the conservative movement, like tikkun olam, tikkun olam, they don't know so much, so many things, but they want to be better and they want to do good in the world. And that's, and like, and here you like yeah. pinpointed that what is the source? The source is that God created tshuva as the motivation, as a sole motivation for people to want to return to a better state, to the, to the original state, to the state right. of perfection. And Rav Kook, Rav Kook saw, Rav Kook saw Am Yisrael as the, you know, different people have different uh, type of, you know, there are people who collect bottle caps and there's people who collect stamps and there's people who collect, Rav Kook named all of his books Oros because he saw that the Jewish people are light collectors. That's what we are. We're light collectors. We're trying to take from everything in the world and to show the whole world how this thing ought to be used in order to bring awareness of godliness to the world. Because the fact that we can now manipulate something does not by any stretch of the imagination, uh, imagination demand or necessitate that it will be used in a way which is going to help you. In other words, just because you can do something faster or you know, or more, more efficiently, but then it might leave you with a whole bunch of time and nothing to do with that time, and you don't really know, how am I supposed to navigate that? And I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, and, and I really believe that I got this from Rav Kook. I don't think this is my own chiddish, but I, I do believe, and we spoke about this when we were talking about, um, about tshuva tivis, about the world kind of like getting to a place where medicine gets so good that people will be able to kind of manipulate their physical... Uh, bodies in such a way that they'll be able to basically live forever. And so then the question really becomes, and I think this is what Rav Cook is saying here, is like, but do you want to live forever? Do you have something meaningful to live for? And so for Rav Cook, Rav Cook says, the Jewish people, the, 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 the vision of the messianic era is that the Jewish people, once the world 
in all of its various different forces working together, all peoples, all, all, all different corners of the world and all different nations kind of bringing their piece of the puzzle of this thing of tshuva that's happening. The Jewish people are the ones who come and say, okay, that's great. And so now what do we do with all this time and luxury and all of this ability? How do we then turn that into something which is worthwhile, which we would want to actually, you know, engage and to, and to be a part of the story as opposed to just, you know, just another meal for the sake of being alive so that we can have another meal tomorrow and it becomes this kind of uh, monotonous. feedback, monotonous feedback loop where we're just rat, you know, rats on a wheel as opposed to we're part of this becoming, we're part of moving towards something divine, which is really... Uh, as we've spoken about before, which is really the pleasure of the world to come. Because he was yeah. able to speak to everybody like at the level that they were at. Right. So, like, and and he, say, he was saying this... What they were already doing was, he was great, sa- Yeah, he was saying this already. psychology, you know? He was saying this uh, quite, quite before his time. Yeah. The same thing is true of all of the fixings, all of the things that are happening in culture. So, and, and, and through that, the world will... Because the world begins in a state of, of destruction, in a state of chaos. From the very beginning, as the Maharal begins the Sefer Netzach Yisrael with, and he has another Svarim as well, Sefer Ner Mitzvah and Chanukah, that the Maharal describes that, isn't it interesting that from the very beginning of the Torah, Barishas Barel Kim okay, that's a good start. And then, all of a sudden we're describing, you know, Tov, Avov, Choshech, Alpnei Tohom, and Chazal in the Medrash Rabbah say, Tohu, this is uh, Golas Bavel. And Vohu, this is Golas Paras Amadai. And Choshech, this is Golas Yavan. And, uh, and Alpnei Tahom, this is the Golas Romi, which is like Tahom that has Ein Lo Sof. It doesn't seem like it has any end to it. Right? The Ruach El Kim, Rechefes Alpnei Amayim, Zu Rucha Shel Mashiach. This is the Ruach of Mashiach. So says the Maharal, what, what, what's the description of all these Golios doing in the beginning? These, these nations don't even exist yet. What are we talking about? All these like... Uh, you know, there's like all this dross in the soup, you know, down there. And like, and we didn't even get started yet. And so what Rav Cook is alluding to a little bit here, and what the Maharal speaks out quite clearly, is The world begins in a state of, of in other words, the, the galus is something which is, is, is built into the creation also right from the beginning. Because the whole nature of the world, as we just described before, is that Hashem hides himself. In, in the world. He move, we move from a state of elokius to a state of olamius, olam from a notion of he'elam, of, of hester, of, of hiddenness. And golos, the goliot, are effectively periods of hiddenness that through the golos itself, and that's what's so remarkable, and, and the Maharal describes this, that through the chorban itself, through meeting with this adversarial force that seems to be putting human beings in a, in a tight spot, so human beings respond to being in a state of, of necessity of, of like, how do I navigate this? Like, what do I do by the fact that I don't have enough food? So how do I manipulate my surroundings in order to make sure that there's more food? And now that there's a surplus of food, how do I share that with other people to make sure that, well, you know, this person has this talent, they know how to do electrical engineering, and this person knows how to do plumbing, and this third person knows how to teach kids. So like now we can make a community together and we can put all these different things together. But it all starts from being... Chaser, which is why, you know, when we make a bracha, we say, Hashem created all of the different nifashot, which means things that allow us to live. We also thank Hashem for the shortcomings because it's, or like we say in, uh, you know, like we say in Alanisim, Alanisim v'ala 
and we say also al hamil chamot. We thank Hashem for the wars, which is a, a, already a, you know been described in many svarim. That we thank Hashem for the wars because the wars put us in a position where we need to innovate within that. And so these korbanot that the world is, is kind of placed in, that Hashem creates the world with uh, these gullios kind of like lurking beneath the surface because the gullios is what spur us on to be able to, to, to perfect the world. And that's why the world, as the Maharal describes, the word galut itself comes from Lashon of Ligalot, to reveal. Meaning putting us in this situation where we're put in a tight spot allows us to reveal something that kind of was always there, but we either took for granted or was somehow being covered, and it allows us to have access to something that was, that was really all, all, all along. That, that's the paradigm, by the way, of Yaakov Avinu fighting with the Malach Shal Esav, which is a paradigm of the, like, the first experience of Gullus, of Yaakov Avinu being in this wrestling match with, with this paradigmatic figure of Gullus, of Saru Shal Esav, as it were. And when he comes out of that Gullus, so it's Migaleh something. What's it Migaleh? It's not that he was in a fight with this Malach and then he had a limp and then he gets over the limp and now he's back to being just Yaakov. But somewhere in that mysterious wrestling match together with this force of Chorban, he becomes Yisrael. He, he's not just returning back to Yaakov, but he, there's an added value now that he became something that wasn't really, I mean, it was always there, but he, until Sarisa Melokim, until he had this, you know, kind of, um, battle together with this force, he wasn't, he wasn't able to access this part of himself that's called Yisrael. And so for Rav Kook, the, the Sha'al Yadam Ha'olam Yotze Mi Chorbano. And the Olam is Yotze Me Chorbano. The word Me Chorbano could be read in two ways. One is it, it's in a state of Chorban and now it leaves the state of Chorban. But Me Chorbano could also mean like from the Chorban. The Chorban itself is what puts us in a situation towards, towards, um, towards fixing some, some bigger problem. Sidre hachayim hachavratim v'hakalkalim, so the economic, the social, so we have, we have cultural, social, economic, hacholchim u'mishtachlelim that are going, continuing on and perfecting, im tikune kol chet v'avon mechomrim shebechomrim ad Going from, as the world continues to, to push forward, there's a, there's a, there's a movement from, from the worst uh, Averus. I mean, wasn't, I mean, in world history, it wasn't that long ago, we're talking a few hundred years ago, where people were still doing, uh, you know, like these kind of, crazy human sacrifices, you know, there are people and before, before the Americans came to what the, what the Aztecs were doing, I'm not, you know, I don't get myself in trouble, but people were like ripping each other's hearts out and doing like all these types of crazy things. And there's, there, people are cannibalizing each other and doing all these insane things and, and slave trading with human beings and, 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 and the world from the Chumri Shiba Chumri, from like the worst possible imagining, you know, the things that we can imagine, to the dikduke sofrim umidus chasidus hayosim uflogos, to the most sensitive, making sure that the, the, the dollar bills have different sizes so that someone who wasn't born with sight is able to navigate that. Kulam osim chativa achas, it all becomes part of this one story of the flourishing of the human being. Ve'enam minutakim zemizeh. Enam minutakim zemizeh. All of these different uh, stories, 
the individual stories of these people, which is what I told you we started with, that there's the world is moving to us, we read in Ozbez, that hakol shav le'elukos, everything is moving back to godliness. But in this, sec, in this second paragraph, which is really the third paragraph, I guess in the fourth paragraph, Rav Cook is saying that those big movements of hakol shav le'elukos is happening through individual stories, these tiny little stories, and they're not separated from each other. They, they might seem like they're running on, on kind of like their own individual tracks, but they're all parallel tracks that are all headed to the same direction. And that's where Rav Kook ends with a line from the Zohar. It appears in a few places in the Zohar. The kulo lechad atar slikin. And everything is all going towards one place. Right? And again, that's why from this last line is where I've been getting that imagery that I've been using really the whole time because that's the language that the Zohar uses over there is that all the rivers are all flowing into one sea, like it says in Kohalas. Right? So everything is going towards one place. Kulo lechad atar slikin. Everything is kind of moving towards this one place, and that one place is the perfection of the world, wherein we're able to experience, we're able to experience uh, Hashem's uh, presence in really, in, in really, in everything. So I, I want to end with just one quick thought from the Enaya, which I think will help to put this into maybe. Uh, you know, I, I've mentioned many times that. When somebody wants to start learning Rav Kook, starting from, you know, Oros, Hachuva, Oros Torah, or the Sefer Oros itself, or Oros Kodesh, is a hard place to start from because it's just so big, so vast. And um, not because of the amount of stuff that there is, but just the language of Rav Kook is so poetic and the ideas are so grandiose that, like, you really need to know how to pull them, pull them down. And... Um, a really great place to start is Rav Cook's uh, commentary on the Agartha. Because here, at least, he's kind of working off of an already extant text that you could kind of, you're a little bit more familiar with here. He's going to be talking about being Somich Geulo Tfila, which is like a concept that we've all learned about. And, you know, there are halachos and like a little bit more, it grounds Rav Cook in something, which is, so if you're looking to get started with something, so um, the Sefer Einaya is really a wonderful, wonderful place to start. Um, on your own. Okay, so in Os Yud Tes, uh, Rav Kook is going to, in Os Yud Tes and Chaf, Rav Kook is going to share with us two short little Ha'aros on the Gemara that describes this concept of Somich Geula Latfila. That when a person uh, davens, they're supposed to first mention the redemption from Egypt as a kind of uh, framework within which to ask for whatever it is that they're going to ask for, or to, to pray and to communicate with Hashem. And, um, and we're supposed to link those two experiences together. And so just to say outside before we read inside, because I, I always find that it's helpful, um, even though it's like a little bit of a anticlimactic way of teaching, but it's a more effective way of teaching. So that's, I don't, I don't care if it's anticlimactic. Moshe Rabbeinu had a stutter. He didn't, uh, he wasn't the best orator. It's just about uh, making sure that we understand and we learn it. So, um, Rav Kook is going to describe here that Geula, on the one hand, is something, especially the Geula that's being described in Ga'al Yisrael, is the Geulas Haklal. It's the birth of the Jewish people, right? The, the, the redemption from Egypt is, it's true that every individual has to see himself or herself, Ki'ilu, they were Yotzimi Mitzrayim. But the Geulas Mitzrayim was the Geulas Am Yisrael. It's the birth of a nation. And that's, um, that's really the theme of the Geulas Am Yisrael. Whereas tefillah kind of represents this world of my personal needs, right? It's true that both are, have both 
components to it. The Geula of Am Yisrael is the Geula of each individual member of Am Yisrael. And it's also true that when I daven, I daven for these kind of larger themes and I don't forget about my place within the Jewish people. But for Rav Kook, that's exactly the point. Smichas Geula Tfila means taking the larger theme of Geula, which is mostly a communal endeavor and partially an individual kind of endeavor, and taking tefillah, which is mostly an individual experience, but is also partially a, uh, a communal kind of like asking. And Rav Cook begs us, so to speak, or thinks that the Gemara is asking us to link those two themes together, to, to recognize that, and I think that's why this is very makdil to, to what we were just learning in Orza Tshuva, because here Rav Cook is talking uh, not necessarily about tshuva, but he's always talking about the shleimus ha'olam, the world moving towards its perfection. And so there is the larger theme of redemption of the klal, and there's the more individual theme of the redemption of the individual, which is what I, I pray for my own parnasa and for my own forgiveness and for my own intellect and for my own, uh, all, you, you name it. So let's, let's read it inside. So he begins with a statement from Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says that Ezu ben olam haba, who is someone who merits the world to come? So... The Gemara says, This is somebody who makes sure to be somech geula letfila by arvis, meaning to say that they go from Gaal Yisrael into, into Shmon Esri. Now, the truth is we don't do that. We're going to talk about Hashkivedo in a second. That's what Cook's going to talk about in the second piece. But this concept of moving from geula into, into tefila, specifically in the nighttime. So if Cook says, There is an illusion here. In the Gemara, Kishachris Vaor Hayom Mora Alzman Shadam Batslachavaola. When things are going well for me, when the house is in order and there is no crack in the ceiling, when things are not Bechorbano, like we read in Orasat Chuva, so when things are Bishachris, it's not such a big deal to be Somech Geula Latfila. Meaning to say, it's not, as he'll say this explicitly in a second, it's not such a big deal when everything is going okay in my own personal life. Right? And things aren't falling apart for me to be thinking big and to be thinking about Am Yisrael. Right? When, when my life is in order and my house is in order and there's food in the fridge and the kids are well, it's not unusual for a Jew to start thinking bigger. Like, well, what's going to be with the Jewish people and what's going to be with the world? And you start thinking in these kind of bigger terms. But when, when, when a person is in Arvis, says Rav Kook, when a person is in, night, in the nighttime of their life, that is to say, when, a person, when things are in disarray, and still a person is able to be somech gula tefillah. They're able to kind of uh, impregnate their personal tefillah with the theme of gula, of thinking not just about their own personal struggle, like, oh, I personally don't feel, or I personally am having this car trouble, or I personally am having this trouble with my kid, or whatever it is. So instead of getting sucked into my own individual kind of problem, I'm able to be somech gula tefillah by arvis. Wow, that's a ben olam haba, says Rav Kook. That the idea of going to, to this person at night means to say that nighttime is associated with, with exile or with being in an exiled state. Right? It's not just in the movies that they like make it dark and raining and thunder all of a sudden when something bad is about to happen. And this comes to teach us, The main work that a person is supposed to be involved in the world is not just their own individual process of shleimus, but as we mentioned before, that 
we're trying to bring the world to a state of tshuva klalas. Any Talmud Chacham who's, I think the Lashon is, who, Torah, who has words of Torah, that's a real Talmud Chacham. A person who is not just thinking about himself, but is Misaneach Al Kvodan Shal Akadish Baruch and Kvodan Shal Yisrael. Someone who's not lacking anything, he's in the daytime of his life. That's not so hard. It's not kaved, not kvar. Kaved. In kaved kolkach. It's not so heavy for him that his tefillah should be aimed on kvodon shel Hashem Yisbarach and kvodon shel Yisrael. As opposed to when a person is in a state of disarray, then a person really needs to strengthen themselves. Even though they're lacking all these individual things for themselves, they don't get sidetracked with their own petty concerns and they try to nest their own concerns within the larger concerns of, of the broader narrative of the Jewish people and, and, and really of the Shechina HaKadoshah. Al Kain, Omar, that's why the Gemara says, That's why specifically the idea of being is not getting carried away with your own story of tshuva, your own shortcomings, but recognizing that, and, and this is something which is very empowering, especially in light of what we just learned in Orsa Tshuva, that my own imperfect mida, my own struggle with anger, my own struggle with uh, with, with haughtiness, my own struggle with, with atzvus, with, with, with being sad and being depressed, you know, in a way which is, which is within the realm of my ability to, to fix that. Any of those things, so when a person doesn't get stuck in their own little narrative about what it is that they're trying to work on, but puts it in the broader story of the Jewish people are fixing, we're fixing, and there's what to fix for the whole world, they're not getting stuck in my own little story. Even in a time when it's dark for this individual person, I make sure that my individual tefillah, tefillah so, is samuch le'inyin ha'geula, meaning the ge'ula saklal. And by the way, says Rav Kook, and this is just the, the I just want to do this last piece, and we'll finish up. We've got two minutes on the clock. Um, Rav, Rav Kook says, and that's also the idea that we find the opposite as well, right? Because what, what happens by the nighttime uh, tefillah, we say Ga'al Yisrael, and right before we start Shemona Esrei, we have this kind of interruptive paragraph of Hashkivenu. And Hashkivenu is not about the Gula Saklal, but is about let us not be starving and not have enemies and not have, you know, wild animals and all types of things that are, and these are much more personal concerns rather than the kind of national concerns of, you know, redemption from exile in this larger, in this larger type of narrative. And so Rav Cook kind of turns the tables on us here and says that just like a person needs to be Somech Gula Tefillah, Chazal embedded within this theme of Gula, of Somech Gula Tefillah is that we also don't want you to forget your own place in this story. In other words, there's, there's, we're talking from two sides here, as we've been doing since the beginning of the, of, the, of the shir tonight. That on the one hand, the world is moving towards perfection, and you'd better make sure that you join up in that grander story and don't get stuck in your own little story. But then the opposite is also true, says Rav Kook, and that's what we're going to read now. And that is that don't just get stuck in the big story. Say, yeah, yeah, Am Yisrael is going to be perfected. 
And therefore, like, I don't really have to do anything. My part of the story is not, my prate prate detail is just bode. That's like, I shouldn't, I, I don't need to fix my own mida because Am Yisrael is moving towards perfection. And so like, I get wrapped up in the story. And this happens a lot of times with people who, who, who are wrapped up in the story of especially, you know, of, of, the, of, of, of Eretz Yisrael and the formation of Eretz Yisrael. But my own personal avoda in that and my own personal making sure that I speak like a mensch and I, I, I look at things like a mensch and I, and I listen like a mensch to, to, to the world. So I, I need also my own, per, my, my own particular part in the story to, to, to bring the Jewish people towards redemption. In other words, that Chazal in Hashkivenu are lengthening the theme of Geula in such a way that they move it from being this broader theme of just Geulas Haklal to being also all these different specific uh, requests of Hashkivenu of of not to be starving and not to have enemies and wild animals, like I said before, which is all part of the Hashkivenu prayer. Yesh ha'ara. This also has a ha'ara in the opposite direction. There's also an idea that we find here in the opposite direction. Ki'af adam kol Just like we just said a second ago, that the Gemara was telling us that we need to make sure that we get wrapped up in the story and we don't, get, we don't just think of our own little Dalit Amos, but we try to make sure that we're part of the Jewish people's unfolding story. The tshuva of an individual also is part of the story. My tofuri kuri uh, invention, or my little sefer, or my little mida that I'm going to fix, is part of the story of Claudius Israel's redemption. And I shouldn't say, well, Claudius Israel's going to be fine, so therefore I don't really need to work. Yes, it's true. Claudius Israel will be fine, and Yaakov Avinu lomes, and you as a member of Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu's story are going to be lomes. But if you want to be chayvakayim, if you want to be alive and well and flourishing, then your individual, um, your individual kind of offering to that story becomes important as well. It really becomes this uh, symbiotic relationship of my individual story of redemption becomes for the sake of the shleimus elaklal. And that's exactly what Rav wants from us. And what Hashem really wants from us and what the Torah is asking from us, which is to make sure that my individual story of perfection and this Klal story of perfection really interpenetrate with one another. Therefore, this smichas gula that is the story of Ga'al Yisrael, of Ga'al Yisrael, the, Jewish, the whole Jewish people. There's a kind of little interruption there between my uh, nation's story and my individual prayer, but that little hefsek of Hashkivenu is not a full hefsek, but it's just a different piece of the story, of the narrative, which is my individual part in the story, that I shouldn't be hungry, and I shouldn't have enemies, and I shouldn't have people who are hounding me. In order to remove from the hearts of those who would deign to think that all that we care about is the clouds. Uh, perfection, and I can just do whatever I want because it's happening anyway. One person should never think that. They need to figure out how to put themselves within the story of the Klal as an individual. And that is Orsachuva, Perak Dalid, Osios, Bez, and Gimel. We'll continue next week with Os Dalid.